I'm Audrey Cooper, Editor-in-Chief of the San Francisco Chronicle, and you're listening to Fifth Emission. Some of the saddest and most frightening stories to come out of the coronavirus pandemic have been happening in nursing homes. And it's not just in the Bay Area. Around the country, nursing homes account for many cities' primary death counts. One congressman was quoted as saying that once the coronavirus is present at a nursing home, it spreads, quote, like wildfire. More than a dozen Bay Area nursing homes have had patients die of the virus, and one in Hayward is now under investigation by local prosecutors. Joining me to discuss the fate of nursing homes and how the spread of this virus might be mitigated is Jason Fagoni and Megan Cassidy. Thanks, guys, for both being on. Um, Jason, I want to start with you, and maybe you can explain what, maybe this is obvious to everybody, but why are nursing homes particularly vulnerable places for the coronavirus to take hold? Sure. Well, there are a few reasons. The obvious one is just that people in nursing homes and other types of long-term care facilities tend to be older, and they also tend to have compromised immune systems. So they already have some underlying health condition, um, diabetes or existing respiratory problems. And we know that the virus is especially deadly for exactly that population, right? So once the virus gets into a long-term care facility, the mortality rate is likely to be high. And there are a few other reasons that these facilities can be vulnerable to the virus. One is that uh, some of them are quite large and dense, that you know, they have hundreds of residents um, in a relatively confined space, like Laguna Honda, uh, San Francisco's huge nursing home with 750 residents. And then you know, another reason is that these facilities tend not to be as well-funded as hospitals. So they, they sort of lack the resources and protective equipment that you would see in a hospital setting. And for all these reasons, long-term care facilities can easily turn into hotspots for the virus. Another thing about these nursing homes um, that, that I think is really interesting is many of them have shut down um, the number of visitors that can come in. But, but that doesn't mean that they've quarantined these homes. They still have a lot of people coming in and out all the time, right? Right. So they've restricted visitors and a lot of them did that early in March, but it wasn't enough because, you know, um, a lot a lot of folks in these facilities still need constant care, in-person care. And so you need um, employees coming and going all of the time, uh, sometimes hundreds of employees coming and going every day. And of course, they're they're out in the world, right? They're going shopping um, and they're they're out in the world where the virus is spreading in the community. So they're they're coming into the home, and if they're not carefully screened, uh, they can bring it in. And you know, just generally, this has been a really hard time, I think, for for residents of these facilities and for their loved ones because you know it's a very isolating circumstance, right? Not not everybody in these facilities has easy access or ability to. Uh, use internet and phone and all these other technologies that we use to stay in touch. Um, so these in-person visits are really important. And without those visits, um, families are having to rely on the facilities to tell them uh, what's going on. And in a lot of cases we've documented, the facilities just aren't communicating with the families. So you end up with a situation where um, loved ones are, are in many cases left in the dark. Well, their, their loved ones are in the dark, but it, it must also feel so terrible if you have a parent or a grandparent or somebody close to you who's in one of these facilities. Not only can you not see them, but you can't get information. It's, it, it's not like they're 
um, public agencies and you can just call your your congressman or something. They're privately run organizations. And and uh, a lot of them that you spoke to are, are not getting a very frequent flow of information. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I I think uh, it kind of varies depending on the facility. Some some are better, um, some are worse. But yeah, there are definitely facilities that have have created kind of an information vacuum around COVID nineteen, and it's been very very distressing um, for loved ones with uh, with people in these facilities to to deal with to actually try to find out what's going on and to not be able to not be able to find anything reliable. What do you? In in the people you've spoken to, which which is not every nursing home in California, so that's that's a really important thing to to say. But yes. what what do you think that that lack of free flowing information is due to? Is it uh, not wanting to get in the media? Is it a lack of understanding? Is it uh, privacy issues? Is it all of the above? Boy, I I don't know actually, and I I wish I did know because I find it very confusing and and troubling. You know, as as reporters, our our job a lot of the time is to push for transparency, right? Where we're 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 the ones, or we're supposed to be the ones out there pushing government agencies and pushing companies to uh, to be transparent with the public, particularly in a crisis like this. And and it's just not possible to get good data on this problem of COVID-19 at long-term care facilities. It's, 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 um, it's a problem when you talk to facilities, some of them just aren't, aren't releasing any information uh, to the public or to the media. And it's even a problem with uh, some of the county health departments that, that aren't releasing data on, on these cases and these outbreaks. It's just, it's, it's a, as a reporter, it's a very tough and kind of frustrating situation to be in because I don't even really know why, um, why there's a secrecy problem here. I just know that there is one. I, I want to get into the data specifically that you're having a hard t- time obtaining. But first, I want to go to you, Megan. There is one nursing home in particular that we've given a lot of coverage to that you've been covering. It's Gateway Care and Rehabilitation Center. Why is that in the news so much right now? Um, so even as the coronavirus cases have spread among these Bay Area facilities, this one has stood out as an outlier just because of the amount of deaths that, that we've seen there. A lot of the other facilities have maybe dozens of cases, but one or two deaths. And this one now we're up to 13. That's an incredible number. And what what do the people at the facility say um, is the reason for that? The people at the facility, uh, you know, it's kind of like Jason are saying, they're, they're saying nothing. I, I've probably called them a dozen times, showed up at the facility, um, called the owners, the, um, the, phone, the phone lines are, are out, the, the phone number is no longer in service. Um, and, you know, and, you know, if you can imagine, or, you know, I know my frustration as a reporter, you can only imagine the frust- the frustration from the family members. Absolutely. So what, what are family members saying to you about their concerns with this nursing home? I mean, they're, they're horrified. Um, they have been uh, calling nonstop. Um, families are saying, you know, the, the ones that still do have family members that are in the facility, uh, I just talked to one actually just right before we got on the phone. Um, he it, he was symptomatic or, or I, I'm sorry, asymptomatic, um, but tested positive, 82 years old. Um, but they he they said that he had to be quarantined there. 
So, okay, that's for 14 days, but nobody could even tell them, tell them when he got tested. So they don't even know when that 14 days is up. They don't know if they can take him out of there or not. Um, management will either put them on hold or never call them back. So really what they've been having to do is just go to the facility in person, knock on the window and, and try to talk to him. And she said that every time they've gone, he's been in a different room. He has his shirt on, but no pants on. They can't find his clothes. It's, it's just an entire mess there. That's really horrifying. Maybe you can also explain to us how um, these complaints got the attention of noted civil rights attorney John Burris. Sure. So, yeah, as I, as I mentioned earlier, now we're at 13 deaths. But you know, even as recently as about a week ago, we were at six and the death toll just keeps climbing. Um, and uh, some of the families, like I said, are, were just horrified with some of the things that they were seeing. And uh, one of these families who has a, uh, have a um, husband, the patriarch of the family, uh, 80, 87 years old, he, uh, he died on April 4th. And they were, they were really frightened by some of the things that they saw there. They said that the, the nurses, the employees were coming in without uh, personal protective equipment on. Um, they said that uh, they were told that a lot of the employees were either, had either tested positive themselves or had refused to come into work, uh, leaving just a few nurses to care for dozens of patients, you know, risking cross-contamination. And then they also said that he was, he was in a room by himself. So really, they, they concluded, probably rightfully so, that he contracted the disease from a, um, from an employee. And so there are really just a bunch of allegations here that we, that we really don't have any answers from the facility. So what uh, John Burris and his co-counsel, Dante Pointer, are trying to do is lodge some, some complaints uh, with the Department of Public Health, get the, get the attention of um, investigators who, who can probe this situation and see if there's maybe uh, negligence or a criminal charge that can be brought against them. And and it seems like um, these complaints by family members and concerns they they did get the attention of local prosecutors who are looking into it. What 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 are they looking into exactly? So that that is hard to say. All all we have is that um, they are they have investigated. They are investigating the situation right now. Um, we are we're also getting emails on a daily basis now from the county. Um, with with updated numbers on how many cases there are, how many deaths there there have been, and the county has said that they are discussing an intervention. Um, whatever that means, though, I, I think that it it will remain to be seen. I'm speaking with reporters Jason Fagoni and Megan Cassidy about the status of coronavirus in nursing homes. We'll be right back after this break. Before we went to break, we were talking about uh, a specific nursing home in Hayward. But Jason, you were one of the reporters who did an investigation um, recently into the total deaths in nursing homes. And, and what did you find? Do you think, um, is does the state or even the country have a unique problem with, with how these nursing homes are being operated? Sure. So with uh, Trisha and, and Cynthia, we just tried to start by doing a really basic thing, uh, which is to just count how many COVID-19 cases are there across the Bay Area at long-term care facilities, right? Got to start somewhere. So we we're just trying to get a count. 
And in our um, Sunday story, we were able to say that there uh, were at least 400 confirmed coronavirus cases at these long-term care facilities across the Bay Area and at least 20 deaths. And, you know, that was from counting uh, reports in the media and also some numbers released by some counties. But in the last um, few days, those numbers have, have risen quite a bit. So the current count is 630 total um, coronavirus cases at long-term care facilities in the Bay Area and uh, 40 deaths. And, you know, I got to say, counting these cases wasn't easy. You know, this is one of the big things that we learned. Um uh, like we were talking about before, uh, there's a transparency issue around this crisis. Th- this is a problem that's playing out um, uh, to some degree in in secret. Um, you know, families aren't being told by the facilities when they have an outbreak. Media isn't being told. Counties aren't always releasing the data. And then there was another thing that we found um, when we looked at the data that we were able to find, which is that um, some of some of these facilities are still dangerously unprepared and poorly equipped to fight the virus. You know, even two months after there was there was a big um, and well publicized outbreak at a Washington State nursing home where you know thirty seven people died. Um, there are still nursing homes in the Bay Area that are struggling with really basic things like um, getting enough tests to to do universal testing at a facility where there's an outbreak. This is something that's really important um, because the Centers for Disease Control have at this point studied uh, nursing homes that did a good job um, stopping the virus and nursing homes that didn't do a good job and where people ended up dying. And um, these CDC studies have pointed out that uh, one thing you really need to do um, uh, to protect people, if you can, is to test more widely um, in order to control infection at a senior care facility. You know, once you have once you have a positive case, you should go in and test as many people as you can, residents and staffers. It doesn't seem to be enough to just check residents and staffers for symptoms. Uh, that strategy doesn't always work for the simple reason that some people who carry the virus don't show any symptoms. So uh, people can be spreading the virus inside of a a nursing home setting or a long-term care facility without even knowing that they're doing it. And that's why you need to test more widely. But the thing that that we were finding, um, talking to the counties and talking to uh, facilities and others, is that you know, they're still having trouble getting tests. They don't have enough tests, a lot of them, uh, to test everybody that they need to test. There's this, there's not ubiquitous testing yet in America, which is a scandal. I think, you know, it's awful. Um, but there's this gap and that gap uh, creates risk. Well, it also seems to to be that these, because these nursing homes are so loosely organized that, you know, you're kind of up to the whim of how good the op how good the management is of the one that your loved one is at who who generally owns nursing homes and who generally is in charge of making sure that they they have their stuff together yeah it's a good question i mean and again i think there's a lot of variation right there are some there are some facilities that are doing a good job are communicating with people are keeping families informed and have been able to you know uh, prevent outbreaks and, and keep the virus out um 
you know the regulatory environment is 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 kind of a complicated hodgepodge. So, um, the skilled nursing facilities, nursing homes, are regulated by the California Department of Health. So the state inspects them and sets various rules, CDPH. And then there's this completely different um, state regulator for assisted living communities, where you know residents have some more mobility and freedom and may live in apartments. And the agency that regulates those facilities is um, CDSS, which is the State Department of Social Services, and that's the same agency that regulates daycares. So it's 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 kind of a it's kind of a complex uh, regulatory environment uh, that exists around these facilities. And do they have data? Because when I when I read your story this weekend, I I could feel how frustrated you guys were by not getting clear answers, including from some counties who you would think would want to know who is dying and where. Yeah, well, I think the counties know, and I think the state knows. I think that the, f- the facilities have to report a death um, to, to government agencies. They don't have to report it to us, right? Uh, and so, you know, that was, that was well, some... Well, not that was some, yet. We'll see not, about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, was, that was some of the frustration. You know, it's also frustrating when, as a reporter, you find that, that um, somebody that you've been dealing with hasn't, hasn't been completely forthcoming, right? So, that, so this completely bizarre situation that came out during the reporting the story where I had been talking with the spokespeople for a, a particular um, uh, senior living facility, assisted living facility in uh, uh, San Rafael in Marin County called Drake Terrace. And I had been talking with them all week, asking them for their coronavirus numbers. You know, how many, how many cases do you have? Um, when was the first case? How many tests are you performing? All of that. And they didn't tell me the entire week that one of the positive uh, residents, one of the residents who tested positive for COVID-19 had actually died. And so I was talking to them the first week of April. I, I found out later that this resident um, had tested positive uh, for COVID-19 on, I think, March 27th and had died on March 30th. And I was talking with the spokespeople after that, and they weren't, weren't, they weren't telling me that. They weren't telling the families. I didn't find out about that until later in the week. And then I went back to them. I said, why, why didn't you tell me that one of the residents died after testing positive for COVID-19. And the spokesperson said, well, that wasn't an active case. We were only talking about the active cases. And if somebody is no longer living, then that's not an active case anymore. Yeah, I, I, when I read that, I was, <laughs> I, I could imagine what, what your reaction Yeah, was. I mean, imagine, imagine my reaction when I heard that on the phone in real time. I mean, <laughs> un- unbelievable. I, I, I can't, I, unfortunately, we're not all in the newsroom for us to hear that anymore, but I can imagine what it was. Um, well, you've also written a lot about Laguna Honda hospitals in, in particular. Um, you know, I have to say from the very beginning, I, I was telling the editors I wanted to keep that story on the front page because it seemed like such a a, a potential box of kindling ready to to go up. What is the status of what's happening at Laguna Honda? Yes. So Laguna Honda is San Francisco's uh, huge city-owned, city-operated nursing home with 750 residents, 780 beds. Um, People have been worried about it for some time. You know, before there was even a single positive case there, we started talking to employees and residents about their concerns 
Um, and they were telling us that Laguna Honda was unprepared. It didn't have enough protective equipment for the staff and that sort of thing. Um, and then people started testing positive. So since, since we've begun reporting on Laguna Honda, um, they have been able to test more people. Um, they now have confirmed 19 coronavirus cases there. Uh, 15 of, of those are staffers. Uh, 11 of those staffers are in patient care positions. And there are also four residents who have tested positive. And they've now tested hundreds, hundreds of people there. Um, that's better than what they were doing, but it still seems like there's a testing bottleneck. Um, There's still a long way, it seems, from testing, testing everyone at the facility. And I'm not, I'm not sure that they, um, that they have enough tests to do that right now. It, it does seem, and Megan, maybe you know a little bit about this, it seems that the number of tests that we've been lacking as a state, that some hospitals have too many, some don't have enough, some nursing homes didn't have any PPE, and it, it seems like now there is at least attention on a statewide level that this needs to be fixed and, and that these places are getting some of the materials that they need. Is that true? I, I think that we can infer that that is the case just because we are seeing people who are asymptomatic at, at the nursing homes go ahead and be tested as well, um, like some of the residents uh, who whose families I've talked to. The last thing I want to ask you, and maybe you have pers- some perspective on this, Megan, is we know that the baby boomer generation is is aging and we know that people are living longer but not necessarily in the best best health i think a lot of people who are probably our age are worrying about what you do with a parent who may need long term care this you know these outbreaks that we're seeing across the country does not inspire confidence what what are people that you're speaking to who are frustrated with their current situation? What do they wish they had asked? And what can we learn from this right now, do you think? Oh, man. Well, the people who I talk to are obviously in the thick of it right now. And they're what they're saying is just don't don't stop calling. If you have to go up to the facility, make sure that you are getting the information that you need. Um and and if need be uh, to call the county, um, this the, another woman that I talked to has filed another complaint with the uh, Department of Health. Um, and another tip that they that they've given me is to uh, actually talk to the nursing staff as well. Um, a lot a lot of times nurses won't be able to talk to reporters like myself and like Jason, but um, they they will kind of level with the uh, with the family members and they've been getting a lot of good advice from them. Well, I think that's a, a great place to stop. Thank you both. Um, I think the investigations have been so critical and Megan, you're definitely um, going to cover the the criminal possible aspects of this, of the of some of the bad actors. And, and thank you both for your work and being with me today. Thanks, Thanks for having Audrey. me. Thank you to Megan Cassidy and Jason Fagoni for being with me today. Thanks to Karen Creighton for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. Fifth Emission is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. If you like this podcast, please consider becoming a financial supporter of the largest newsroom in Northern California. You can sign up for a San Francisco Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod.